0: This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 4th of February. And here is my forever changing, ever evolving. Oh, actually, that's quite relevant.
1: Um, Co host, (laughs) Jan. Do I feel some hidden criticism there? I should be evolving to something better than what you've got right now? No, you're always evolving
0: something better. You're always evolving (laughs) something better.
1: Ah, something Uh.
0: else. Okay, not me. Indeed. So, yes, this is. Have a moment's silence for the uh, Twitter tag, at (laughs) HadoopCast.
1: Yes, we kind of say goodbye to a big part of our life, of course. But uh, yeah, I mean, people who've been following the show for a while, we always end our show with the same uh, little outro thingy saying, you can use the at HadoopCast tag to follow us on Twitter and everything. And of course, that HadoopCast tag is a remnant of the past by now. Over the last couple of months, we've been moving away from big data into more of big tech, so more generic, just not not just the big data world anymore, but everything from HPC to artificial intelligence, and as you will see later, text adventuring as well. Uh, (laughs) 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 But we still have the at HadoopCast tag out there, and... For some reason, and I don't really remember how how did I mean it's four years ago by now, but we also have the Ad Roaring Elephant tag, and I actually registered that one on Twitter before of it is just the Ad Hadoopcast tag so I, I i'm not sure but i think we kind of got hyped away there at a certain point and decided that hadoop was going to rule the world and we should be part of it
0: <laughs> i think so i think we got swept up in in just as much of the uh the fanfare as everybody else did so we went with hadoop cast rather than uh rather than roaring elephants so uh yeah even even we are capable of getting uh
1: caught up in all the hype no no no. we do podcast we cannot make mistakes but Pod- whatever's on the internet is true that's how it works <laughs> <laughs> and if it's in audio it's doubly true because that yeah. takes more effort than a web page but that's the only reason we don't have a video channel on youtube yet because i mean the truth would be so overwhelming people wouldn't be able to stand it anymore basically
0: exactly you can't handle <laughs> the
1: truth <laughs> anyway People who are following us on Twitter, I will be doing some uh, internet magic. I hopefully be able to keep both uh, channels up for a little while, but we will be moving entirely to the ad Roaring Elephant uh, Twitter tag over time. So between now and, I don't know, before the summer, I think I would like to extinguish, uh, give a last prayer, and uh, say goodbye to the ad Hadoopcast tag. But uh, I'll be tweeting about this, of course, so nobody should be surprised by it. Yep, indeed. And
0: in other news, if you uh, visit a certain URL, and the URL will be in the show notes, um, of the uh, the CNCF, and you scroll all the way to the bottom to uh, the media partners for KubeCon and CloudNativeCon, you will see
1: the Roaring Elephant podcast logo. Ooh, yes, we're partnering with Akon again. We've had a lot of fun doing the uh, Data Work summits and Hadoop summits in the past. And all well, with those kind of disappearing now, I think we found a nice uh, event to put more time in. And uh, we've yeah. been talking with the people from KubeCon, very nice people there. And uh, they we've agreed to set something up with each other. So we'll be, I think we'll both be there live yep. and uh, reporting our, uh, on it. And we have also some extra stuff in mind. Not sure how much we want to give away about that, though.
0: Yeah, so we are we are an official media partner, and um, thank you to uh, everybody that we've worked with at the CNCF. Um, you know, we obviously have a, a long-standing relationship with the Linux Foundation as a whole with uh, our work with John Mertig and the, the ODPI. So this is, now there are, there are two um, areas within the Linux Foundation that we're working with, so exciting times. And uh, yes, we, we actually, we will have uh, a ticket to give away. So if you're interested in attending, uh-huh, no chance. If you're interested in attending uh, KubeCon, which uh, this year is in Amsterdam, and you have uh, not got a ticket yet, but you're interested in doing so, then please uh, stay tuned to our next couple of episodes, and you'll find out how you can
1: win that ticket. And of course, as always, our patrons will get first dibs. They will be able to Mm -hmm. request the free ticket before anybody else. Anybody who becomes a patron today will get that uh, head start, let's call it that. So, if you are still on the on the on the how do you call that Uh, doubting on the fence on the fence, thank you. If you would want to be a patron or not, well, if you do it now, you will get a chance to get that ticket before anybody else.
0: Yeah, sneaking ahead of the queue. So, yes, stay tuned for uh, exactly how we're going to be
1: releasing that. Anything else from you? Um, Nope, let's get into it. It's a news episode. It's been a long time since the news episode. It has, it has. We've
0: had a, a variety of interesting uh, sort of diversions, and that meant the the news has piled up a little bit. So we're we're diving straight into how open source changed everything again, which is uh, an info world, info world, info world <laughs> article uh, from Matt Assay. and this is um, it's it's interesting because we were talking about all of these kind of topics and. Um, you know they 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 all come up in in this article. So, you know the the initial focus is around you know cloud and the fact that um, you know prior to 2010 it was all about free software versus open source and religious wars. And you know I think it's fair to okay. say that that's that's pretty much all died down now, or at least those those traditional. Yeah, free software versus open source religious wars have have died down. Mm. Of course, I think we've started up a whole new range of religious wars (laughs) instead um, around the exact licensing and whether if you you come up with your own licenses, it's still open source and and all those kind of areas.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I'd say that the free versus open is still very much valid, but it's no longer a religious war. It's a purely commercial financial war. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. I'm not sure if the Crusades were better than the other wars in the world, but um, war is bad. What's it good for? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
0: nothing. Say it again. Um, <laughs> I never knew we said so, that reference in a, in a tech podcast. But anyway, <laughs> you never know. So um, the next, the next area that that it brings up yeah, hang is: on, hang on. Uh,
1: Are we, are we agreeing with this? That uh, open source changed everything again. He's talking about the last decade, basically, and a cloudy future did is that how the world changed did the world change with open source oh, sorry with uh, with clouds or did it just become the same in a, the same kind of wine in a different kind of vat mm, i mean that's still a change <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay that way <laughs> i mean if you I mean, it's the second part of the first part there, where it says the cloudware was just an enabler it's just a different way of doing the same thing or have we really seen, because uh, the thing I'm thinking about here is the whole microservices architecture, the thing about no longer doing a monolithical uh, development but going to microservices to make it all more flexible, self-repairing, blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. Is that happened or is that still happening? Because again, he also puts a little cloudy future as a heading for this section. And I do think that it hasn't happened yet. We're still on the verge of that. Change. Let's say, I, I think I think
0: the revolution is ongoing. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're you know we're definitely not at the end of that. But I do think the the world now um, is very different to you know how things were, good ten years ago. The the sort of ubiquitous nature of cloud computing, everything as a service, um, even serverless services are starting to mm-hmm. really make an impact on folks
1: now. Really, I think. I would say so, yeah. I, haven't, I mean, there are a couple of companies that use it a lot because they were kind of based on this thing, because they were very new. They only started their business in the last couple of years. But traditional, the the real big business out there, I don't see a lot of Lambda architectures. Well, even, I'm not talking about Lambda architectures, but functions, uh, cloud function servers, serverless compute. It's still a lot of marketing. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I I would say that there are there are far more folks looking at it and salivating about the the time when they can yeah. get rid of all of their infrastructure and just consume these serverless um, platforms. Yeah, we're definitely not. But that's what I mean about you know we're definitely not at the point where this is all commonplace now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's you can definitely see that it, everything is trending in that cloud yeah. you know cloud first cloud native direction. And if it's a good
1: thing or a bad thing, I will talk about that in 10 years, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Come back to us in 10 years. We'll still be doing this, talking to each other on the internet. Yeah, um, listening anyway. Well, you know. That's a bit of freedom yeah. for us. That's good. So the next the next chunk is around uh, Git. And I, I think it's fair to say that this is something that definitely has... Um, has arrived and has mm-hmm. has massively changed the way that um the way that people collaborate so it it makes the point that, that git is not the first of uh of the configuration control um you know services or platforms that were available there've been many many um version control tools before you know you can go back to cvs or subversion or Curial we beat that CVS, man, come on. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) Any of your your sort of version control platforms of choice. But Git was the first kind of real um, internet-first cloud. I mean, would you say cloud-first or would you
1: just say internet-first? Well, it's definitely a SaaS thing. But my first question is, was it Git or GitHub? Was it the technology? which basically only runs on my own computer, that's how Git was supposed to work, or GitHub, the SaaS service that allows you to use the Git technology to do this worldwide sharing in a very easy and uh, yeah globally accepted way.
0: Well, so I think one one couldn't happen without the other. I think the, the technology was the enabler that True. made GitHub uh, able to then capitalize on it,
1: and I think, yeah, but it could have built the same kind of software structure on top of Subversion, for instance. Would have been different technology behind it, but the whole idea of having an internet uh, site that allows the worldwide thing. Yeah, I don't, I
0: don't think so. Okay. I don't think, I don't think you would have had that level of flexibility. I mean, God Possibly knows, I, yeah. I, I, I love Subversion, um, and it was honestly, it was the last of the version control systems that I spent a lot of time with. I haven't really spend a lot of time with git I can I can pull stuff from it and mm-hmm. push stuff to it but it's really I'm not I'm not fully embedded in that world anymore yeah. but from from my understanding it's just the way that it works is far more aligned with the the now sort of fully fully distributed
1: yeah. way that that github allows you to work yeah so version is much more central point where everybody took their stuff and put the stuff back while git is more of a it's all here with me. And I can choose to share what I want to share with the rest of the world. Exactly. Exactly. So I think
0: it this to me feels like a a true a true revolution. This and this feels to me also like something that has properly arrived. Yeah. I, I think, you know, definitely Git and GitHub services are definitely still evolving, but it feels like it's landed, it's a huge part of our industry. I can't even imagine um you know where we would be without this kind yeah. of level of of uh, of service. So I think yeah. this feels to like something that very much has has landed, is here and has made a massive difference. Yeah, and
1: it's not all that surprising because again GitHub, Git was perhaps new, but it was a new technology, it was something that built on top of on of older things, built on top of older things from CVS, subversion, all the rest through it. It's a is it can i say percolation a perfectization whatever you want to call it of the whole theory of the whole programming paradigm of doing version control and shared development and this is the one that kind of put all the good things together and made it work yeah and of course i had uh lina Storvald behind it as a uh, patron saint if i can call it that (laughs) and that of course helped it really gain a lot of clout very quickly and Mm. yeah the rest is history as they say Indeed. I wonder if we'll still be using Git in 10 years' time. We're going to keep on doing this for every every section here. <laughs> God. Um, moving on then. So the next section is
0: around Docker and the and the container revolution. And I think this is one where perhaps you and I maybe differ slightly on our opinions.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, did Docker and containers revolutionize the world? Um, I mean, yeah, there are lightweight VMs. VMs are still around and in much bigger use than Docker and containers are today. So again, I would say that Docker is something for the next decade, but Docker is already on the way out. If you look at Kubernetes, the the, 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 the most hyped, uh, modern, how you should do with air quotes, uh, way of uh, <laughs> delivering Docker infrastructures these days, they still by standard use Docker, but also have other container technology behind it and I, what i'm kind of seeing happening here and again it's little hints at the moment is that a lot of the f- functionality that made docker different from simple lxc containers simple linux containers is getting pulled out of docker again and kind of moving to the orchestration layer uh, mesas and Docker Swarm never kind of went that far, but Kubernetes, with their persistent storage, for example, and their networking layers, are really—that's th- basically what the Docker container added to LXC, a, a container, uh, a storage container, and more networking functionality—and that's already been pulled out again. So, if this had said uh, microservices, or even maybe. Kubernetes, I would agree more, but Docker really feels a little bit like—well, um, well, actually, yeah. Sorry, I'm about to say this, but like a Hadoop, where it was a, a a a technology that started something, something great, something fantastic, but is already being surpassed by the next iterations of it. And then to say that it changed the world, it hasn't yet, and in my opinion, it never will, but because it will be surpassed before it has a chance to. Mm. Yeah,
0: so I'm right. We do disagree. <laughs> so, so I. That's good. I, I, so I don't think that you're entirely wrong. But I think, f- from wow. my perspective, that's a big break. Um, a big
1: break. I'm very happy with that.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's that's about that's about as good as it gets. And um, I think where I disagree is that the majority, at, in my experience and from what I've seen, the majority of. Um, of images that people are deploying on Kubernetes are Docker images. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree that there are definitely whisperings of lots of other exciting things to come, but I do think that, you know, Docker arriving on the scene first, and then people going, this is great, but, you know, we, we don't really need although it's a great partitioning technique we don't need just another partitioning technique what we need is something to you know fully orchestrate uh, all of this stuff and that's that's where in my mind that's where you know the seeds for kubernetes were planted mm-hmm. and then we've got this you know as as is mentioned in the in the doc this complete kind of reinvention of the ci cd pipelines and things like yep. that and i i if docker hadn't happened would everything else have happened after it i, I don't so. know i well maybe but I, like who can know for sure because it did happen and then all of these things happened after it that are closely linked to it so i don't disagree mm-hmm. that docker is is perhaps no longer the be all and end all of of containers i think you're right i think that that space is continuing to evolve and you know, no no argument there. But I do think that perhaps Docker is important, or maybe was important, um, because I believe that it was, you know, the catalyst that planted the seeds that allowed a lot of these other things to then mm-hmm. emerge
1: afterwards. So... Uh, I'd say that LXC is more important than Docker at that point. Maybe Docker was more of the hype thing and the thing that made it a household name, but uh i would actually i have no idea but i would actually I'd be curious to know how many normal linux containers are running compared to how many docker containers are running today cuz if i look at my own little uh, home it uh <laughs> the center I've got here around me I, I run only LXC I don't use Docker because it's all stuff I build myself and Docker is only useful when you have the, the git mentality from make something share it with other people and I'm just a big egoist I guess I'm not sharing my stuff well no it's just because I run things like next cloud and uh, Postfix and things like that in Linux container I don't need Docker for that and I think LXC was the, the seed that started looking at things like orchestration so necessary and Docker is kind of a, a way station and not a destination itself. But I can see your point as well. So I'm not going to say you're wrong at all. <laughs> <laughs> but so are, are you going to ask if we're still going to be using Docker and Kubernetes in 10 years? Um, we definitely will not be using Docker anymore in 10 years, I think. I said <laughs> it. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Kubernetes okay. check, probably check in in 10 will, years time. but it'll still be a beta. <laughs> <laughs> oh harsh. Harsh. All all right good then. things never leave beta. That's that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so speaking of stuck in beta, um data science becomes mainstream. Ooh, we're gonna disagree on that one too, aren't we? Uh, probably. I mean i I think it for me this depends on um this to me depends on how you define Data science. So, what I what I think to me this doesn't mean is this doesn't mean that everyone is a data scientist or that um, everybody needs data science. I do think that um, data science is is more approachable. Um, has been, you know, has made been made. Um, more easy to adopt. There are so many different, you know, open source uh, frameworks and you know tool sets that allow people to to dip their toes into it. But that doesn't mean that everyone has suddenly, you know, everyone in in data and tech has suddenly become a data scientist and or has easy access to data scientists. Um, so I think that the tech I think is now very. Yeah, a lot more approachable. You can, you know, you can plonk some H uh, two O on uh, on you know, and plug some data in, and you can get some very data sciencey um, sort of answers very quickly and very easily. But to me, that's not quite the same as data science becoming mainstream. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, yeah, makes sense. I was kind of approaching it from a different angle. For mm-hmm. me, it's more like in the 2000s, so before 2010, data science was this esoteric thing that was maybe talked about in universities and at the Googles of the world, but nobody really knew it, what it was or was anybody in any way interested or invested in it. If you look at today, any company at least knows what data science is, has dreams of what it possibly might be able to do, and usually can't do but anyway but there is it's no longer a niche thing in the mindset in the thoughts of people i agree it's still the technology is there but it's still pretty niche to see it actually being used in a productive performant way because a lot of people are playing around with it but don't have the people or the knowledge or the data sets or the use case basically for it a lot mm-hmm. of times people see uh, my thing is failing, let's add AI and now everything is good again. Well, just like moving so- a problem on premise to the cloud, you just move your problem, you don't solve your problem there. Adding AI to a problem doesn't necessarily solve the problem. So there, yeah, that's still relatively niche, definitely if you go into the, the deep learning and stuff. But I, I would agree with the article that the data science concept, at least everybody is thinking about it, is aware of it, and it's no longer this academic pie in the sky, you need billions of dollars to even think about this concept anymore. It's something that even smaller companies from pure tech companies to, I don't know, law firms, for example, uh, look at to see if it is something they should be looking at. And, I mean, I think you and I, we both have been doing a lot of, uh, how can you say evangelizing is a bit of a strong word because we didn't really evangelize machine learning and AI. But we, I've had a lot of conversations with my customers over the last 10 years about the concept of data science. And in the f- yeah, 10 years ago, I was there to explain what data science was. And now I'm explaining to them what data science can't or more to the point, can't do for them.
0: Yep. So I think that's all fair.
1: Yeah, I think it's all fair. Different uh, approach, let's say, but you're totally mm-hmm. right on the on the on the technology part as well. Yeah, we're, we're agreeing. My God, it happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, will we still be using data science in ten years? Sorry, said it again.
1: <laughs> so, will we still be using
0: data science in 10 years? <laughs> that's, um, well, that's the question you said you were going to ask at every single one of these things, So yeah, I'm now making sure you do that.
1: I'm criticising <laughs> your question, because you use the word still, and I don't think we are actually using it. I think we're still testing it and playing around with it, and very small points of using it. So, the still is something I would doubt. Uh, I wouldn't add to the question, but uh, will it still be in people's minds, and will we still be hyping about the next generation of quantum deep learning neural nets whatever yes definitely why because Uh, i always sells (laughs) will it change the world (laughs) probably not we need people for that not technology fair enough fair enough all right
0: so next section um open source programming languages i until i kind of read this heading I'd actually forgotten that there used to be closed source programming languages. Um, (laughs) It it, it had just, it had just sort of vanished out of my, out of my brain. And it's not that I didn't know that. It's just that I, we've lived in this world of, of um, open source programming languages for, you know, such a, such a long time. And, you know, the, there's some comments in the the, the second half of this uh, chunk in the article talking about uh, you know J- Java marching towards open, but yeah, of course Java um, at one point was was closed, and that
1: to me now seems just completely insane. Mm-hmm. Well, Java is still close. I mean, the, the official Oracle Java is still a corporate product from Oracle. And if you use it, then you can welcome uh, the Oracle bookkeepers uh, at your doorstep any moment now. It's the OpenJDK yeah. implementation of the Java exactly. uh, construct that's open source. So it's an additional language on top of it. But that yep. being said, I mean, are open source programming languages that new? Because the, the, the granddaddy of all programming languages, okay, not COBOL, C... <laughs> The GCC compiler has been around for as long as I can remember, and has always been open source.
0: But, but that's why I—that's what I mean by I'd completely forgotten <laughs> that there were such things as closed like programming languages, until until I actually oh actually yeah so that used to be closed and I guess that was closed as well. But like the the most common languages, and I think you're right. It's 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 very interesting that they don't actually refer back to. Uh, you know things like C, um, C++. And that sort of that sort, of, and C plus plus, and those kind of things. They they focus on. I suppose they're focusing on the, the cool
1: and the trendy, well, like Go and Rust, and I, I, I think that the, the heading is actually misleading because it's not open source programming languages, but open source programming language implementations. Because GCC was an open source version of C, but you also had Turbo C, which you had to pay Borland for. God, I I can't believe I remember that name. Or you had the uh, Intel uh, compiler out out there as well. I think those are the big ones. So those were closed source implementations, but the language itself, description of if, then, else... I don't believe that was ever closed source. Same with uh, Java. The only reason that OpenJDK exists is because the syntax language of Java, (coughs) excuse me, is open source, can be used by anybody. Only the way that you actually implement one plus one is two that implementation from Oracle is closed source and patented and you can't use, so you have to do it yourself. Um, sure. I think .NET is the biggest example here, which isn't mentioned in the article at all, so maybe some anti-Microsoft feelings there. We'll see it in a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but .NET used to be fully closed source. Then you had the guys from uh, Mono Project who kind of built their own stuff uh, based on people from uh, Novel, I think, they, were, they, they came from. And now the whole core thing from .NET is open source as well. So again, the implementation Implementations of the languages have changed, not the languages themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, what I would add to the thing as well is that it, there has been an explosion of our programming languages. Yeah. Ten years ago, we had what, five languages? You had COBOL, <laughs> dying, C, C, uh, Python, Fortran. <laughs> Fortran, if you were doing that, and modula 2 if you were doing very fancy stuff with good <laughs> stuff. But today, pretty much every use case has its own language almost
0: yeah and yeah and that's... there's and there's and there's kind of domain specific languages DSLs, popping up yeah, every other every idea. other I mean, week, I mean,
1: yeah, and that's gonna I think it's gonna get into a problem I mean it's high time that we kind of make a standard to cover all <laughs> oh
0: yeah, yeah, congratulations
1: <laughs> you' just invented one more standard uh XKCD for everybody who doesn't know this one um but no, I do think it's gonna get to a point where it becomes it already gets very hard to find people uh, to work on your projects with the um relevant knowledge. And the more mm. of these languages get invented, and the shorter the lifespan is. I mean, Angular React are two examples here. Uh, React used to be the be-all and end-all. Now everything is Angular six months' time. Hey, what's the new thing going to be? It gets very hard to get anything done, basically. <laughs> when I start a new project now, and I have a couple on the burner here, I, I kind of get analysis paralysis even before thinking yeah, about the use case. You but just, am I going to do Java.net? I'm going to do Python. Uh, okay, I'm not going to do Perl anymore, but actually I do like Perl. <laughs> it- yeah, I know. And then things like Go, Rust, WebAssembly, I didn't, WebAssembly, I've never heard of it. <laughs> it's, we're doomed, we're doomed. I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> so so you're advocating for a great cull of the programming languages? <laughs>
1: um, um, no, I'm advocating for more of a direction. Because it's its great that there are a gazillion four, things four out ways there. ways forward. But <laughs> try to get some kind of consensus about I mean, the REST APIs are very concise. Put, get, post, delete. REST APIs. Mm -hmm. That's very, why do I need 23 languages to do that same thing? Can't we get some kind of, I don't know, make my life easier, people, not harder. (laughs) Mm, yeah good luck with that yeah i know yeah
0: i I don't i don't i don't see this changing any any time on the other hand every
1: Uh, time a new language comes out i'm happy to look at it to see if i can do what i did yesterday better so there you go i'm part of the problem no no issue there and yes in 10 years time we'll be doing exactly the same thing yeah there'll be 400 languages Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and uh yeah so this this final section is uh, a yeah, curveball of the decade um you mentioned the uh the idea of uh, possibly slightly anti microsoft feelings and uh well I, I think the this this chunk is talking about microsoft switching from uh, open source is, is a cancer through to now being uh, one of its biggest contributors, mm-hmm. uh, depending on exactly on how you 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 measure that, but regardless, you can definitely say that they are uh, all in on open source and are very heavily engaged in uh, open source. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's difficult to uh, it's difficult to argue that that isn't a you know a significant change mm-hmm. for over the last decade.
1: Yeah, I think this was an important one, too, because, again, this is how open source changed everything. I think the contribution that Microsoft has given to open source by doing this has been enormous, because it, in my opinion, and yeah, I worked at Microsoft for a while. This is not because of that. But when I, 10 years ago, when I talked about open source, you had to convince people that open source wasn't bad, that it was safe, that it was secure, that you could use in production, blah, 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 blah. And not only this, but this has definitely helped to make open source something that is, yeah, sure, it's open source, we can use that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Because n- on the one hand, Microsoft no longer fighting it and totally doing a 180 by supporting it publicly. And they're still doing it for the money, people. Every company in the world does it for the money. That's how you get your wages paid at the end of the month. Be happy about that. But the messaging changed like 180 degrees, it gives it a double push to make uh, open source more accepted in the, in the in the commercial world. And that definitely changed, I think, the open source environment, the the, 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 the way you talk about it. It's no longer the, I'm going to use some he- ugly words here, the nerds and the geeks that are talking Linux only. No, everybody's doing open source now because it's just, yeah, why wouldn't you? And it's not just Microsoft, of course, it's the Google as well. I'm not going to mention Amazon here, but I just did. <laughs> um, but, yeah that really did change a lot for open source I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think and the the nice thing about uh about how this article winds up is actually there's a surprising moment of honesty here which the 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 author says uh, given how unpredictable this past decade was I don't dare forecast the next 10 years except to say that it's bound to include a lot of open source and I I I couldn't agree more. I I absolutely think that open source will continue to be uh, a very significant part of, of the next decade. But I have absolutely no idea what the next decade will look like.
1: Um uh, well same as this decade i guess misery annoyances good things bad things people <laughs> will get born people will die but now i understand why you made me predict the next 10 years for everything because at the end you say you can't predict it so thank you for making me look a bit foolish there but i don't <laughs> mind and if i can add song one more prediction there um i think we're going to see a shift yes open source the mindset will go on i mean the genie's out of the bottle you're not going to get it back in a bottle anymore or something really major has to happen but the end of the article also mentions things like Let's Encrypt. And Let's Encrypt has been a major force forward to making pretty much everything on the internet, HTTPS instead of HTTP, have SSL encryption on pretty much every website out there. Even the most basic hobby website can now easily have SSL certifications on top of it. And that's partly... Technology. It's a bit of scripting, yes, but it's more of a service—an open-source service. The whole idea of having SSL, uh, what do you call that? Um, CA um, uh, registrar, whatever you want to call it, just, just authority. Yes, difficult authority. Thank you. That's there, which can just be used for free, and that's also open sourcing—not technology, but more. it's Yeah, it's a service. It's an open-source service, and I think more and more will see that technology will become less important but more what you do with it so the services around mm-hmm. it and those will also get more and more open source things Now there are some things going ahead uh, against that of course i mean the recent selling of the .org domain top level domain to a commercial entity I'm not sure how that's going to uh, wind up but uh, yeah yes, uh, a bit odd, yeah. But <laughs> yeah as the author says we don't know what it's going to look like but it's going to include open source
0: <laughs> indeed and so switching, switching gears a little bit onto our, our next article, probably our last article for this episode, um, we've got um, something from, in the New York Times from Celia Kang, which is very closely aligned to you know, some of the things that we've been talking about, which is it's titled Please Stop Big Tech, Small Rivals Tell Lawmakers. And the, it's about um, top executives from um, you know, four companies testifying um, or pleading with federal lawmakers to put some level of control over um, Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, the, the big tech giants, and stop them from completely destroying um, you know, everybody else in, in this space and the uh i mean the the list of companies i think is pretty interesting so you've got sonos uh, PopSockets, basecamp and tile um all of which i mean sonos especially i think is a you know most people would see as a premium um you know a a, a premium player in the internet connected audio devices, and yet, you know, they're also, I mean, they're particular con- uh, sort of bugbearers with Google and and believing that uh, Google had copied its patented speaker technology and used its dominance to enter new markets. But like the the amount of, um, you know, concern that these organisations have that their sort of, their businesses can be swiped away or, you um, you know, basically eaten up by the, the big tech giants is, is seems to be very, very real. They've got very serious concerns that uh, that they they're operating at such a huge disadvantage that they need you know
1: actual legal protection. Yeah, I think there's as everything. There's two ways of looking at this. I mean, on the one hand, a uh, uh, the pop sockets, which I didn't really know, but apparently they make uh, smartphone uh, grips. They said mm-hmm. Amazon bullied it into sales agreements and ignored complaints about counterfeits, blah blah blah. On the other hand, if they didn't have Amazon to sell their stuff on, would Pop Socket ever been have become big? So there's a little bit of dare I say hypocrisy in there. But on the other hand, uh, too much is too much, too far is too far, and I would not be I, I guess it's true that amazon is doing things like this and not just amazon but all online marketplace um, storefront gathering things whatever you want to, i have no idea what the name for that yeah. kind of thing is but yeah of course i mean you, at the moment at the moment that as a as a producer of something you make yourself dependent on a distribution channel you have made yourself dependent on it. And then it's kind of a gentleman's agreement that you both want to keep a good relationship between the two of you. And if one of the two doesn't agree to that, yeah, you have to try and stop that. Is legal recourse here the best solution? I don't know. We'll see. Um, for Sonos, of course, it's a totally different thing because that's basically, yeah, they're well, no, it's not different because again, they're dependent on internet. They're dependent on a distribution channel. It's the I know, is it the specialization of a production organization no but I, I mean
0: the I mean sonos their particular thing is essentially um it's uh antitrust isn't it it's all about uh antitrust violations patent infringement um so it's it's nothing about the distribution channel because it's sonos and Google for example mm. so like they, mm. they each each company has their own um you know, their own sort of uh, problem. Axe to grind, grind is not the right way to put it, but they have their own Freak concerns with, yeah, with, with different sort of, uh, you know, different areas of that space. Um, and I, I can absolutely see this uh, becoming more and more of a movement, but what I what I don't really um what i don't really know is how like if this is such a serious concern and i i i can actually you know i can i can definitely draw a line between the dots here and i can see that this is probably something that um more people and more organizations should be caring about mm-hmm. so if that's the case like how how can you build a a community of people that can try and champion you know some sort of uh you know sensible guidelines or or rules or or you know what would that even look like i mean i i think it's it's a, it's, a it's an territory. incredibly difficult area to try and navigate and i have no I, I have no idea even what good would look like for for this
1: mm-hmm. yeah and also i mean i'm going to put on my skeptical hat here um there's also the governments of the world that are trying to put pressure on top of these big tech companies to get more taxes out of them. And there have been uh, threats and ongoing uh, litigations concerning uh, breaking up Amazon and Google and having to pay fines everywhere and things like that. And now in Europe, France, I think, decided that all these tech companies need to start paying taxes there. And of course, the big companies, the big tech companies, they don't want to give them their money if they don't have to. By having... Because this is basically lawmakers getting involved in a discussion. Is this perhaps just the lawmakers saying to the big tech, hey guys, we can hurt you. Stop being annoying and give us some of your money. Again, pessimistic, skeptical, head head on my, on my shoulders at this point. <laughs> and I'm such an outgoing, optimistic guy normally. Of course you are. <laughs> of
0: course you are.
1: Because, I mean, well, it does kind of... I don't know, read me the wrong way that now all of these big politicians who have filled their pockets over the years with big lobbyists from these exact same, uh, what were they, um, uh, Google, Facebook, Apple, and Amazon, are now suddenly championing the small, the little guy. I don't know, politics, politics. I mean, they're, they're good people in politics as well. Don't get me wrong. There are people are doing it from the right idea. And there are also a lot of people not doing it from the right idea. And my question basically is which kind of politicians are actually involved in this and that's important because that will pretty much dictate the outcome of this mm-hmm. Fair so, enough. i do want to remark though that they don't have microsoft in that little little in that little little row there and it doesn't surprise me actually because microsoft has had their wrist slapped very hard in the 80s 80s 90s oh yes and uh haven't been there i can yeah, I can testify that they are really careful not to get into this stuff again. And they are actually, as we just ended the other article as well, trying to work relatively okay-ish with their partners and uh, yeah, things that are landing on the cloud and stuff. So apparently, yeah. as you said, there there are ways of doing this the right way, apparently, but at least not the, the, the most wrong way, <laughs> depending on how yeah. you're into this.
0: Cool. Indeed. Indeed. Well... I think uh, that is uh, probably it for this episode. Yeah, Anything else from you? No, well, I think we've a
1: big uh, 45 mm-hmm. minutes already, so let's uh, put a pin on it. And we had some other articles, but we will have those on next time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's all the time you have for today. You can support this podcast. You can become a patron. Every contribution helps. And don't forget that free KubeCon ticket is coming up patrons get first dibs we're on youtube you can like like subscribe notify notification bell something there i mean that's that's dave's thing i have no idea what that all means cool, cool, cool. you can go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to the patient page and the youtube page and more information about this podcast you can follow us on twitter at the moment still at the at cast tag but as mentioned earlier we are moving migrating to add roaring elephant so keep an eye on that and finally you can send your feedback by email to podcast at roaring Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye.
0: See you (laughs) then.